Okay, I got a question for you. How can you change someone's life for the better today? Hello, hello, it's Shara Carruthers here, and you're listening to the Live Like You Love Yourself podcast. And I'm really happy to be back in your ears, and especially today, sharing a podcast that we've been excited and waiting to share for a little while. But more about that in a second. I wanted to kick off today's intro with a powerful question. And part of the reason for that is that questions are just a regular part of the way I do life, but also because I've been having conversations, a lot of them actually, about about questions lately. And a lot of these questions, they've come out of the observation that we're all just looking for answers, especially when life feels so uncertain. You know, I found that Questions can be a bit like a life raft or a beacon, right? There's a, they're a way of focusing ourselves when life gets a little bit bumpy or a little bit unclear. They're a way of acknowledging that we know more than we think we do, which some days may just be that we don't have all the answers. And so what questions are you asking yourself today? What answers are turning up? And if there's nothing particular in your space, maybe consider the question that I asked at the beginning. How can you change someone's life for the better today? Who knows? Maybe this podcast will be a start. You know, we were beyond inspired by our guest for this one. Heather Plett is a teacher and a writer and a coach and a retreat host. And most recently, she's the author of the book, The Art of Holding Space, a practice of love, love, liberation, and leadership. And you might remember a while back when we spoke with Lucy Carnani. She mentioned Heather, who is her teacher, and we were immediately intrigued. And so we reached out to Heather with a request, in part because the idea of holding space is alluring. It's intriguing and it's confusing. And yet it's something that as yoga teachers and parents and partners and friends and loved ones that we're being called to do all the time. And so Maria and I wanted to know more about how it's done and why it's done. And not only that, but how holding space benefits those who do it, those who receive it, and the world in general. And guess what? We got those questions answered and way, way more in this beautiful chat with a very profound and well-spoken teacher and leader. And so please sit back, relax, and enjoy this conversation that Maria and I had with the absolutely wonderful Heather Plett. Really nice to meet you. Yeah. Nice to meet you too. Right. Well, you know what? We can we can just dive on in. Wait, like actually, before we do dive straight in, uh, what what time is it where you are, Heather? I just want to get a sense for like what part, what time of the day you are. It's six p.m. I'm in Central Time Zone. Oh, okay. Yeah. Middle of yep. Canada. So yeah. Mm. Evening for you. Fantastic. Yeah, supper time. Yeah. Nice tie-dye yeah. pajamas, by the way. I saw oh, those on, yeah. on Facebook. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that was my weekend project. Yeah, yeah. I have these warring uh, voices in my head, the really cheap one, and then the really like, no, I deserve better. So yeah. I found a, found a way to make them both Compromise. work. Compromise. <laughs> exactly. And yeah. do you know Leela Stewart? Have you met her? 
Or is she just your Facebook friend? She just liked, I know she liked the pajamas too. She's somebody She's we've interviewed who lives friend. in. Yeah, yeah. You got lots of friends, I'm sure. I know. Well, when you write such a fantastic book, you should have lots of friends. That oh, was a really, you. really, I enjoyed it so much. I did a quick, like a quick read, but it's um, really, really satisfying to take something as amorphous and kind of hard to define as holding space and to nail it down without formulaically operationalizing it either. Yeah. You left the mystery there, which is really nice. So that, thank you. That was, the, that was the tricky balance right from the start. Like I, yeah. people wanted a definition and at first I was resistant to it. I didn't want to get too prescriptive, but then I thought, no, there's a way of doing that with a good balance. Yeah, good. Um, yeah. And where are you both located? We are in the northeast. We're on the northeast coast of Australia. So we're not very far away okay. from Byron Bay. Have you been to Australia? Yes, I have. Okay. Yeah. And I've spent time with Lucy actually in, in Sydney. So Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. you've done for holding space what she did for communication. I just think that was so satisfying. That's right. Well, she's the one who told <laughs> yeah. us about you. Right. Yeah, who That's right. Yeah. 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 I've I've taught in Australia three times now, three yeah. trips. I've done I yeah. think about six different retreats there. And one of them yeah. Lucy hosted actually at the Yoga Institute. So. Oh, nice. Did you ever come up to Byron Bay? Yeah. Uh no, I didn't come to I didn't do that. Which is okay, where we sort of time. live. Yeah. We live a little, you know, sat a little bit south, but that yeah. 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 Cool. And so we often start with asking the question, how are you? I'm good. Yeah. I'm very good. Yeah. Today yeah. was a good day. Yeah. Today's All a good day. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Right now in the middle of, you know, pandemic there, one day can be very different from the next, mm. but yes, I have, I'm having a good day. So I'm feeling well resourced and yeah. Well, it's filled. It feels to me like increasingly, or maybe now decreasingly, I don't know. That has been a really complex question for lots of people who kind of who dive into it a little bit as opposed to just sort of saying, yeah, good, you know? Yeah. Well, I love it, your answer that I'm feeling well-resourced. Yeah. <laughs> it actually is really specifically why you're okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually it's funny because I was just in the middle of developing this new resource and, and about having our needs met and it, for this little e-course I'm developing. And so the, the language of being well-resourced was very much in, present in my brain all day mm. as I was mm. thinking about what is it when we actually are having our needs met, what's the, you know, kind of golden ticket and, and well-resourced was the language that I use. So that's where, that's where my head is today. Mm. I love that. Cause I feel like, mm. I feel like in some ways I'm a bit of a crusader um, against our patterned responses to a question like that. Like I'm, I'm yeah. inviting people to kind of dive in a little bit more rather than rather than, you know, just sort of throw something out there. And I yeah. like that. I think when you think about well-resourced, it makes people think a little bit about, hmm, yeah, how yeah, am I? I? I like it because I think our podcast is about being resourced. It's so much yeah. about what, what practices sustain you. And my, that was my first question is, are you a yogi or a yogini? Are, yeah. Is yoga a thing for you or is it just a kind of it doesn't have to be. We yeah, don't care. It's, it's, it's only a minimal thing. And yeah. you know, I, I wish I could say it were more, but I haven't gotten into a really regular practice. I, mm. I, uh, I've incorporated into retreats and I do try to do some practice, but I tend mm. to be more of a, 
a walker. I like mm-hmm. when I want to work through body stuff, I, I head out and go for walks and stuff. That's, that's kind of my yogic practice, I think is being out in the woods and wandering and yes yes you talked about spend a lot of time on the mat yeah Yeah. you talked about having a body practice which i really liked Uh, to me it doesn't matter what it is but a body practice and a a connecting with nature practice and i thought that those were ways of resourcing yourself yeah yeah they definitely are being outside and walking and and i one of my other body practices which i'm not able to do as much now in the winter we're getting into winter months here in canada is I, I love to build things. I'm a builder. Mm. I've been, oh. I've taken up like building and you know, I've, I've a garage full of power tools now, which is a brand new thing. And uh, there's something about touching wood and, and being with wood mm. and making things out of wood that has just given me so much energy these days. And mm. in fact, I'm currently sitting at a desk that I kind of crafted myself and so that's, that's one of my body practices that's given me a whole lot of, and especially in the middle of pandemic, if I can get out, out my backyard and build something, it just makes me feel a little more hopeful about the world. I love that. I do too. I really <laughs> yeah. love that. Cause I, cause what, what we're really, um, what we're really trying to do with this podcast is, is open people's eyes to what yoga really is. It isn't, mm. it isn't necessarily on the mat. It's a bigger yeah. idea. And that is yeah. part of one of the one of the big reasons why we wanted to talk to you because of the I suppose the, <laughs> I'm gonna be hesitating to use the word space now all the time. <laughs> but there's a space that this idea of holding space kind of holds in, in the yoga world. We have yeah. this idea of what it is. We all think that we're doing it or that we're here to do it, or we're even trying to understand what what you know how it might relate to what we understand. Um, all these little practices that we engage with are. And so yeah. I think that I think that regardless of whether you're a big fan of asana or not, the work that you're doing speaks strongly to the yoga world. Yeah. And it connects really well with, with I have a lot of yoga teachers that come through my work, people that yeah. are very much in the, in the yoga world. And so it definitely, there's a whole lot of resonance with it, but I, yeah. And I, it, one of the things that I often do actually when I teach workshops around holding space is I don't give the definition up front and I sometimes Mm. frustrate people because you know they want the hard and fast like definition and I kind of want them to build a definition in the process of doing this retreat and being in the space of being held you know we're holding space and I'm holding space for you now let's come to a definition together and let's explore it how it fits in your life and so that's been um, just and that's why, to be honest, I was a little reluctant to publish a book around it because I kind of want, I want it to be a an evolving, growing, um, generative space for people mm-hmm. to keep adding new ideas. In mm-hmm. fact, one of my, um, I have a teaching team, and one of the teachers in my team, she created we have the the part of the concept of holding space we talk about being the bowl that's how we hold space and I have all these concepts that go inside the bowl as to help define holding space she made one um, out of paper mache and then she used velcro to attach different concepts Uh I said I love that idea I kind of want I kind of section book so people could stick their own ideas into it you know so that there's always places you can layer on and change it and evolve it and oh today this has relevance so I'm going to stick this into the concept Mm. I I love love the concept of the bowl I think I think maybe we can ask you to explain that because it was 
I wondered how you were going to do that. And particularly the Lego bowl, because I played a lot of Lego when I was little and my kids did too. I love that idea of deconstructing something and then where do you put all the bits of Lego in between? Yeah. Well, and that concept came, I, I did a talk, uh, it's almost three years ago now with um, uh, Igala, Equine Assisted Growth and Learning. They do um, work with horses and, and have people um, doing growth and learning and therapeutic work uh, with, in arenas with horses. And so I was working on a presentation for them and I was really wrestling. That was early in the days before the book was a thing. And, and I was trying to develop some kind of visual presentation to, to talk to them about it. And one at the core of my teaching is this concept of liminal space. Cause I was really wrestling with what's the space that we're holding? If we're holding space, what is it? How do I define this space in a way that has meaning? And what's the journey people are going through that we're supporting? And so this concept of liminal space and liminal is, it's the space in between. It comes from an anthropological term, limin, which is in between two things. So when we're evolving and we've, we've been living in story A and we're evolving into story B, there's a gap, there's a transition period where we're not either. And one of the ways I define this is the caterpillar that's transforming into the butterfly. It doesn't go directly from caterpillar to butterfly, it has to grow through this chrysalis phase where it's deconstructed. And that what you're making reference to is I had this visual where if you begin your life or you know the first part of your life, you're a Lego house, you're built you know, to be a house and that serves you really well for the first half of your life. At some point that might just start to confine you and constrict you and you recognize there's a transition that's necessary but I don't know what I meant to evolve into. So you have to first deconstruct the house before anything new can get built. And that's where I came up with this concept of the bowl. It's holding the containment, creating a space for something to deconstruct, to break into a lot of pieces before evolving into, let's say at the other end, you're going to be a Lego bridge. And now it's more about, you know, where you're helping people move to or travel to and, and, and but you know we've all had lego pieces sprinkled on the floor we know what happens if you deconstruct something without having a container it causes harm people step on it you know it, and so in order to support somebody going through that transition process we create containment for them we hold space for them so that they can do that without harming themselves without harming other people uh, without losing bits of themselves really mm. and uh, and then do the evolution but the bull doesn't decide what the lego is going to turn into the bull just holds it and mm. creates that containment nice. that. i love that and i i love that you um that you don't necessarily uh that you don't necessarily define it there's something that about that that really speaks to me because i feel like as individuals who are moving through life and struggling here and there and whatever, we are constantly looking for an answer. Yeah. And we're, and I feel so much like it's our role to find those answers for ourselves, but that's like, we run from that. We run from that yeah. process and then we stop trusting ourselves. Yeah. And so I love that you're just putting, you're just creating <laughs> a little framework and then you're inviting people into it. Well, really in doing that, I'm modeling the concept itself. Yeah. Like, like, 
by You're not wrong. giving you yeah. the exact definition, the gospel truth, the, you, you know, the dogma of holding space, mm. I'm holding space for your learning and for your growth and for mm. your way of finding your way into this concept. And so, it, like I say, people get frustrated with me sometimes. I've had people, uh, you know, halfway through a retreat, they, they get a little anxious because they want to know what's what's the truth of this. I'm like... I, yeah, I know you want to know, but the the whole point of holding space is to allow your evolution to happen, for, allow your growth to to occur in this space, not for me to direct what you're figuring out. Yeah. Oh, I love that. <laughs> the question that's there for me, oh, as well as that. Sorry, there was the thing. There was a thought in my head. As somebody who does not like rules, and who doesn't, <laughs> I like bristle against rules, and everything that I. Um, engage with. I'm always looking at it from my own point of view and perhaps even kind of trying to define it a little bit from my own point of view. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I've got your book, I started reading it and I thought, no, no, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait because <laughs> one, I kind of want to represent those folks out there who, who um, aren't so sure about what, what it means or who haven't had all the answers. Mm -hmm. um, but then also there's an idea that I'm, you know, that I, that I think of, and I wanted, I wanted to get your view about it. I often think of, um, I teach Ayurveda and in Ayurveda, we sort of see us individually as this microcosm of the macrocosm and the macrocosm is the universe and the universe is a space. And within that space, energy and matter kind of play. And that's the energy and matter is kind of the gross and the subtle kind of, you know, transmuting and transforming. And so I see us as a space individually and within which things are happening and can you t does that make sense to you is that something that speaks to what the way that you see this or teach yeah I to be honest like one of the things I had to really come to clarity on and for myself and for other people that I'm supporting in this work is that we can't hold state space externally before we can if we don't know how to hold space internally so if I haven't done learned a practice that holds space for me that is able to to wrestle with my own discomfort with is able to sit with the the you know the really uncomfortable things in the world or to actually peer into my own biases and judgments and fears etc if I don't do that internally then my shit's gonna get projected onto the other people that I'm holding space for so you're right like I my container for myself is the primary way that I can show up that I can do this work so that I can show up for other people to do this work and there's a metaphor that I use in, in the, there's, so there's three sections of the book and the second section is holding space for yourself. Mm -hmm. And I was really trying to figure out, okay, so if holding space is being the bowl for other people, how do I be the bowl for myself? You know, I can't climb into my own bowl. So, you know, and hold it at the same time. So the metaphor kind of broke down. And, and then I was having this conversation with my friend Beth and we came up with this idea of, well, when we're holding space for ourselves, it's really like a cellular membrane that if you break down, you know, if you look at our tiniest cells in our body, our body's made up of millions of them, the cell has this beautiful structure where it holds space for itself. It has a membrane around it. And this membrane is like is intelligent it allows mm -hmm. the right things in it's got sensors it allows the healthy things in 
in it figures out how to become more rigid when there's unhealthy like when our temperature goes up uh, you, your body is being told there's dangerous things in your body and raise rise temperature sends a signal to the cells to become more rigid and not let the viruses in so there's all these really intelligent ways that our body teaches us how to hold space if we pay attention and it it knows how to fill its energy store like in your inside your membrane is uh, the mitochondria which is your kind of like your battery your car battery and it's letting things through the membrane that will build up your energy stores in your mitochondria and it also maintains a, a like homeostasis is mm -hmm. keeping the balance from the inside and outside uh, relatively similar so we if we do start looking internally and practice this for ourselves that's what gives us the strength like if i've got a really really secure and well developed membrane then i have the capacity to be the bull and i sort of develop this metaphor i kind of take it beyond the metaphor into okay so let's imagine a, a, a membrane that has lots of flexibility lots of strength you can kind of become shaped like a mm -hmm. bull to hold another person and the other beautiful thing about this metaphor is that your membrane and my membrane can meet and we you can interact, but I'm not spilling out into you and you're not spilling like there's a clear boundary between us and there's not we're not going to the opposite of holding space I talk about hijacking space I'm not mm -hmm. going to try to hijack your space if I have a sense of myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was a bit of a ramble. I don't no, know if I no. in a direction. We're like we're processing it. It's yeah. yeah. It's, I love it's that. It's so also what struck me about that metaphor and the metaphor even of the bowl is is how trauma sensitive it is and how mm -hmm. um, how sort of mental health informed it is. This idea of of those boundaries of that of that interaction of creating homeostasis of protecting yourself but being open and and that that sense of vulnerability. Yeah. as being essential and yet you know the birthplace of things but also dangerous and it, it, there were so many little elements of the metaphors the way you built them where i thought oh that's just that's like out, out of the trauma sensitive textbook kind of mm. you know. have you studied that stuff yeah it, absolutely there's a lot of stuff i have studied quite a bit on trauma by now it's yeah. become pretty core to my work because i think mm. i don't think that we can hold space well if we don't have some sensitivity around trauma and we don't mm. understand what's going on and and so it, it it's uh, very much a part of the work and i talk about so one of the third section i talked about the first section is kind of holding space for others and then holding space for yourself and then i go into complexity in the third section and that's when you need to hold space for trauma, when you need to hold space for conflict, when there's oppression going on, when there's racism, when there's all these complexities that are in our culture and a lot of them are rooted in trauma really. And how do we hold space in that container? Well, it's only when we've got through the second section of the book to figure to, to really pay attention to what's in me. Like if there's trauma in me and I show up in a room where I'm holding space and I haven't done some healing work I'm going to get triggered and then I'll probably do damage to other people in the room. So mm. learn, it doesn't mean we're never going to be perfectly healed Pe people. That's not the goal. But if I at least have some awareness of my own trigger points and I have mm -hmm. good, uh, again, I'm go back to being well-resourced. If I have good uh, soothing techniques for myself, I, I learn how to soothe, uh, do some nervous system soothing, etc. Then I will have the capacity to show up for you in a way that doesn't do damage to you. Mm -hmm. Heather, how did you come to this work? 
<laughs> well, it was a bit of a wandering road, I think. I I think when it was awakened in me, when I think back to the point where it was like you kind of on started the quest for this work. It was it was 20 years ago. I was actually hospitalized in my third pregnancy. Uh, and um it was a pregnancy that actually ended in stillbirth. But before that, I got hospitalized, had to have emergency surgery, and it failed. And uh, what happened is they broke my water trying to uh, save the pregnancy. They put it at greater risk, really. And so I ended up in the hospital for three weeks um, trying to prolong this pregnancy. They were pumping me full of steroids, trying to help the child develop. And he he didn't survive in the end but in the meantime I had these three weeks where my whole life was kind of put on hold and everything that had mattered before I was kind of on the upward track working in in the government I was in a leadership position really you know doing all the things one's supposed to do and developing your 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 career etc and everything got put on hold and everything got reevaluated. and to be honest during those three weeks it became the most spiritual experience of my life because I, I've often said it was like I, you know, I went into an ashram instead of a hospital. I kind of feel like that was my forced meditation retreat for three weeks where when all I could do was be still mm -hmm. and lean into supporting my child and trying to help him survive. And and I had some really remarkable things happen. And one of the things that happened is when I learned in that hospital experience to hold space for my own anxiety, my own anger, because it was medical doctors, it was mistakes made that caused mm -hmm. me to be in this place. I had to really wrestle with that. When I did, something really beautiful happened is that I started to hold space for other people in the hospital. It's mm. It was a strange thing, but people started to come to my room. I started to develop this sort of retreat center in my room. People brought me flowers. I had music playing often. I had, it smelled really good because there were flowers and fresh fruit. And, and I, people would come and sit in my room. Like I'm talking nurses and doctors and nurses aides and other mm. hospital, uh, other patients they would come and they say, I don't know what it is, but there's something about your room and sitting with me, you that just brings me some peace. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't like I turned into a guru or something, but it was something magical in that moment that just they've, they've got something out of sitting with me. I didn't solve anything for them. I didn't give them advice. I just, because I had nothing else to do. I just sat with them and it was really that you know it, i didn't know the language of holding space at that time but that started me on this quest of like what is that that people are remarking that this is something unique about sitting with me and so i i ended up um i changed jobs not long after that i ended up working in nonprofit. and one of the beautiful things i worked in international development and i got to travel to some some of the most the poorest parts of the world in India and, and Africa, several African countries and Bangladesh and got to be with a real uh, and a quest for social justice issues and, and things like that too mm. became really important to me. And so this all started to co like coalesce in my mind if a the holding space piece, but then also the social justice piece and it all got kind of woven together. And then it was a and maybe about 10 years after, in fact, today, eight years ago today, my mom died of cancer. Mm. 
and it was it was mom's death again like my son losing my son it was mom's death that that kind of ramped up this quest again and I wrote a blog post because what happened at my mom's deathbed we were we were with her my siblings and I were with her for about four days in her home caring for her as she died and it was in caring for her that um, this holding space concept really came clear for me it wasn't a concept I didn't develop the term itself but I'd heard it used and we had a palliative care nurse who was supporting us as we as we supported mom in her dying and a couple of years later actually I wrote a blog post about that palliative care nurse holding space for us so that we could support mom and that post went viral in kind of a nutty way it's been seen by over 10 million people I, mm -hmm. I don't even know anymore mm -hmm. and it was so clearly a sense of oh this is what people really need me to talk about and then it was starting to dig in all of the, and realizing everything I'd been studying and thinking about in, in those years since my son died was all related to this topic and that's when I started developing the work really and created courses and and now wrote the book Mm. Wow. Th thinking back, and I know Maria's going to want to Maria's going to want to connect with you about your mom dying eight years ago. <laughs> I'm just in, I'm in actual awe because my, it, today is a one year anniversary from my dad dying. I was at the, oh, yeah. in Australia at this moment. I was by his deathbed on his last day and we had exactly the same. We had five days. We chose not we didn't meet anyone who could give us that support, but we gave ourselves that support. Um, but I remember some of the palliative team were all just way too chipper and like they were, they didn't understand what we needed yeah. in the way that you're a woman. And it was fine because we were a bit capable of doing it. We could do it and, and they, they did yeah. facilitate that. But it is, it's such an interesting space to hold like around death or around, or I love what you said in hospital. Mm. I'm also waiting, I'm waiting to have some surgery first of cancer. So I'm in a really, having a really, oh, wow. in a kind of in that liminal space of just going, so this is happening and you know, the prognosis is good or whatever, but it's still scary. Yeah. And, and it's so interesting to sit in the cauldron of this space. Yeah. And you could run and, and climb under the covers or there's lots of ways that, that it could be avoided or distracted. But I'm so grateful for, for that was where the language was so good, but so grateful also for practices, as you said, for self-soothing at, at the deathbed or in, in this circumstance mm -hmm. to come into presence and to not necessarily need anything to be anything other than what it is. Mm. Yeah. But not to go running away or to change it, to just let, let whatever it is happen. So it does yeah. feel like between identities and you don't really know what mm. <laughs> what it is mm. so thank you mm. it's particularly you know I was Isn't like it? I can't believe that I know we have I the same day wow that is <laughs> I, something I yeah. am curious because one thing that struck me as you were talking about your time in the hospital you know with your son and all the rest of it was mm -hmm. um where do you, where do you think your ability to almost just inherently hold space you know you said at the time you didn't know that's what you were doing where do you think that that comes from yeah that's a good question and I'm not sure I know the answer I think part of it is just um you know the particular sensitivities that I have to the world I mm -hmm. I come from a background of being a, a communicator I was at that time a director of communications so I was really paying attention to 
language of communication, how to how to communicate important messages. And at that time, it was with Veterans Affairs. So it was a lot of uh, communicating messages of support and grief and and all the things that come with you know remembrance day and things like that and so that's kind of been always my my bent is how to use language to support people and 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 i'm a writer and always have been a writer and so i have a sensitivity to paying attention to the human condition and that's mm. kind of who i am and then i mean i think there's there's elements of my mom and my dad and all the pieces i was raised in a religious home and um our particular religious uh, we come from a mennonite background i don't know if you know anything about mennonites but mennonites really are it's a pacifist culture we we mm -hmm. uh, you know peace loving is very much a part of the culture and there's mennonites are often known as the quiet in the land and it's because they they tend to remove themselves from the culture to some degree and they're very hardworking and 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 a, a kind of a quiet people paying attention and watching and listening and and so I think culturally it's kind of in my bones to be uh, somebody who can be at peace with myself and 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 seek peace peace loving is really part of the culture and mm. so I think it was kind of a natural evolution for myself to learn to find the kind of peace that you need to be in the spaces. I mean, you were talking about your like being present with somebody who's dying or being with your own cancer diagnosis, for example, you have to learn some practices that help you find that peaceful center point. And, and I think that's just been sort of something I've, I, I've, had a natural inclination to all of my life. Mm, I wonder, one of the, I, I'm always diving into things like this and, and in many ways trying to understand them a little bit better. Mm -hmm. And the question came up for me about whether we all have this inherent ability to hold space or um, whether some people are, you know, perhaps better. Um, not suited, that's not really the word I'm looking for, but kind of have a more of a, um, I don't know, they, they have sort of more of a natural um, sensibility for doing that. I'm, I'm guessing it's something that we can all learn to do, but I also kind of want to point out this, um, if, there is a, if there's a process to it, if there's things people should be looking for, because I think that there's a, there are groups of people people who are particularly in roles like teacher roles or nurse yeah. roles or, or doctor roles who think that just by virtue of the role, they're space holders. Right. And that might not necessarily be the yeah. case. Yeah. And so I love the, I, I, I just, yeah. Can you kind of speak to that? Cause I do think there's yeah. people out there that are looking to people who aren't doing it. And there's people <laughs> out there who are thinking that they're doing it, but they're not. Yeah, it's true. And and you made reference to the palliative care people that you've had you yeah. had that weren't actually the right people for it. And so that you you make an assumption somebody in that role is going to be good at it. And it's true. Some people don't ever really get good at it, don't have a natural inclination to it. And I I think it's a bit of both. I think that there is something uh, that some of us have a natural gifting. And, and if, for example, you're looking at an Enneagram or something like that, some ways of, uh, of, of 
you know, seeing people and viewing our natural tendencies. There's probably certain Enneagram types that have more inclination than others. But at the same time, I think there are skills that we can all learn. And that's mm -hmm. why I wrote a book and why I teach a program, because I think that if we if we understand some of these basics, we can all at least get better. We might mm -hmm. not all be, have the capacity to make this core work for ourselves or, you know, to do it in a significant way. But, but I do think that if we, um, I, I think really, I think we've been trained out of this and that's one of the things and, and um, that it's, it's a cultural thing that we've partly because we live in a capitalist consumerist culture that we haven't really learned to be still to be quiet to to be accepting and to be in discomfort because you know we think we can buy our way to comfort we can just keep buying the next good thing and it's going to resolve the discomfort in us and it, it's not like if we if we don't have practices that will actually allow us to be present in discomfort there's nothing you can buy that's going to resolve that and so i think that we need to retrain ourselves to re you know, to, to reject some of our social conditioning in order to reclaim some of these practices. And what my favorite chapter of the book is the last chapter. I encourage you to keep reading till you get Absolutely. to the last chapter. Cause the, what I, I, uh, I was writing the final chapters in the home of my dear friends, Lorraine and two bears and two bears is a um, shamanic practitioner and she's a Choctaw elder of the Choctaw nation first nations group in in the U.S. and she has great wisdom and so I, I was writing all day and then the evenings we'd have these ch chats and she would do ceremonies she has she uh, like she'll do a pipe ceremony she'll do um, uh, smudging and different kinds of ceremonies and I, I loved it and she created this beautiful space or she let me use her space uh, very much a spiritual space with a lot of indigenous um, ritual items in the room and and in fact the chair that I rode in she'd covered it with this beautiful buffalo rug it was a skin of a buffalo and I get to curl up in this in this buff it was held by this buffalo rug and so, but what, it, what Two Bears was t telling me about as we were talking about <laughs> holding space is she says, this is an ancient practice. Like it's been in our culture forever, <clears throat> but we've lost connection with it. We've lost touch with it. And she says, the way I see it right now is it's being reborn in different parts of the world because the world so badly needs it. And it's being breathed through different people simultaneously. That's why I couldn't really find the root of the term holding space. Mm -hmm. But her theory is it's because it's being born in different places simultaneously. It's like, you know, spirit needs it to be in the world. And so it's showing up. And some of us are kind of being called to be the voice of this new way of being. But she says it's there like she she would talk about doing ceremonies for example she used to host um vision quests or those kinds of ceremonies which are very much liminal space kind of ceremonies where you go into the space of nothingness to to see what you know what is there for you what learning is there and she said <laughs> she always used the language of holding space even though nobody ever taught her that language she mm. would have people that would stay at the sacred fire be fire keepers but their job was to be paying attention to hold space for those people that were in the woods and she would say to them you know if your body has a hunger or a fear or something shows up in your body 
there's a good chance you're feeling it on behalf of the person that's on this vision quest. So your job is to pay attention, to hold that space for them so that they can be on their quest. And this was, you know, like she said, nobody taught her to use that language. It just evolved. And so that's the way I relate to this language too, is it's, it's here because it's needed in the world and we're all uh, leaning into an ancient practice. In, in a way, like that you talk about it being in the birthing room and in the dying room mm -hmm. are almost spaces that, that the culture has not been able to remove, although we've been able to hospitalize it and stuff like that. But there is still the mystery. And I love that you include mystery in yeah. what's, what supports us. Um, there is a mystery in, in birth and in a mystery in, in death. There are these spaces that are kind of intense and the, my dad's dying was so much like a, like a birth. There was a sort of the breathing of it and the whole thing of it. And it wasn't something that could be rushed or controlled. It had to be surrendered to. So maybe they're the, the reminders. And then, I'm I, sorry to keep talking, but I have this wonderful book that I've had for years. It's like some old hippie book that's called The Women's Wheel of Life. Have you ever seen it? No, and it I takes haven't. 12 archetypes of women. I'll send you a copy of its cover. Mm -hmm. 12 archetypes of women all arranged in a wheel, like from daughter, virgin, Amazon, the whole thing. In the middle is the 13th space called the transformer. And your, your evolution from one archetype to the next is not necessarily linear. You go into this dark place and, it, and it's a place you don't want to be in, <laughs> yeah. but you have to be in to see what is next for you. And it's that, yeah. again, that like vision quest space. Anyway, that's me yeah. talking and not asking you, but I wondered, <laughs> I'd wondered if you'd seen that. No, yeah. but it, it, I mean, it all connects. There's, there's connection between that concept and other concepts. And I think that's, it's indicative of our culture that we have tried to sanitize <laughs> the birth and death. When we think about how much we have put those in sanitary environments and hospitals and, you know, taken the natural, like you seen some documentaries. I remember a few years ago, Ricky Lake had a documentary about birth, how much we've industrialized the birthing mm. process and taken women's natural, you know, our instincts out of the process. And mm. we've turned it into a medical thing instead of a very natural thing. And the same thing with death. When I think about having witnessed my former father-in-law's passing was very much a medical model for it. And it was kind of devoid of the spiritual aspect of it. And uh, whereas my mom's, we were quite determined to keep her at home. And so there wasn't any intervention really going on. It was, it was a natural transition process. And I think we need to return to that, to re-ritualize those kinds of um, parts of our lives so that we can reclaim this process of going through those liminal spaces and mm -hmm. we can relearn this and re-embody this practice. So we need the preparation of ourselves to be able to hold those spaces. Yeah. So how do we do that? I mean, I, I think of yoga as one of the means to do that. Yeah. <coughs> I think it, I think there's many ways, like, again, I don't like to be prescriptive. I'm not a practitioner of one particular practice, but I think that 
right now we are being kind of given an opportunity in the middle of a pandemic. There's, there's no greater example of a collective liminal space that mm -hmm. we're all in and we're being forced to slow down and be present in this place of discomfort and fear and whatever else it's bringing up all of these emotions. Like this is the practice ground people. Like if we don't, if, if we're just trying to rush through this, or if we're just trying to fix it or you know we're going to miss some of our opportunities here in the in this uh, present so it, i i've been encouraging people in fact i'm working on a little i mentioned at the beginning i'm working on a little e-course on how to hold space for yourself in times of disruption like this because i think we need we need the practices and we need the 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 learning around um not just we can't go to the store and find something that's going to fix covid we can't go to the store we can't you know order in something that's going to make this time easier for us we can't uh, like there aren't any foods that are going to solve this that that's all kind of shutting down mode but if we're present in it one of my practices my favorite covid practice has been what i um I call it my messy COVID art practice. I have this large canvas is about two, three feet by three feet in my basement. And I just keep layering on layers of paint that I just paint with my hands. And it's just, it's the messiest. If you go on my social media, you'll see it because I just get really messy with it. And it just keeps evolving and I crank up music and I just, I move from the, speaking of a body practice, I get into it. And especially when I'm feeling a lot of angst in my body, I just process it with color all over this canvas and it's messy. It never looks like much. Sometimes it actually looks nice and I kind of want to keep it, but then the next day I just layer on more paint and it, you know, it's got about it's over a dozen layers of paint. I have lost touch with how much, but because it's not meant to be permanent, it's meant to be a movement through this and a practice to keep me going. And so it's, yeah, that I, those kinds of things that, that help us and like your yoga practice for example that helps you just be present in what is right now mm. rather than seeing it as a fitness session to approach any and, and yoga means much more than asana whether it's breathing or, or um, rolling around on the floor or something but to, mm -hmm. if we if we embraced each session as a way to resource ourselves mm. and as a way to explore our becoming mm. Yeah. You know, rather than getting so attached to what we are. Yeah. yeah. And it isn't self-improvement. I think that's a really important point too, that it's, I think often people are like, oh, let's hold space to get better. Right. No, no, I, 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 I try to reject the language of self-improvement because it's not, it, it, because, and I don't even like to use language around goal setting and things like that, because I think to really hold space well, uh, one of the things I, that people always resist in my courses is, but it has to be part of it, is that we have to release attachment to outcome. Mm. If I'm going to hold space for you, I can't be attached to what you're going to turn into or else I'm not going to hold space. I'm going to hijack mm. it. I'm going to try to control it. I'm going to give you all the advice. I'm going to layer my own stuff onto you. But if I can hold, and that's holding with an open hand and open heart rather than trying to close the, the container up, then your outcome is your own and I don't have, I, I don't direct it and, and you're going to process what you need to. And the same for myself, but I'm not going to be able to hold space without attachment to outcome for you if I can't get to that in myself. So mm -hmm. 
with my art practice, for example, there's no outcome because it's always going to get covered up. It's not a product. Mm. In fact, somebody asked me to post video of it. And I said, I'm not sure I don't want to because it's such a personal practice. It's not performative. It's not meant to be something that, that you know, you, you do like I do. I just want you to get messy with the practice and be in the mess of it um, mm. because that's what it's about. It's about being present right now, mm. allowing the emotional. And sometimes I'm weeping at the, at the canvas and other times I'm kind of dancing and it's whatever is the emotional experience in that moment. I love that. I, what's coming to me as I'm hearing you say this is our ability to hold space is in many ways, and this is just my interpretation, um, related to our ability to make space. So that we've got all this to create space. We've got all this stuff we're experiencing or we're holding, you know, maybe of our own or even perhaps of other people's. And there's this process, and I love this painting idea. I mean, to me, it's, mm -hmm. it's making me think about the many ways that I do express or the many ways that I do create space by allowing something to move through and out. Yeah. Mm. You know? it's, it's funny because one of my friends just recently, she says, your next book should be called The Art of Taking Space. <laughs> and I thought <laughs> that might be a fun, fun follow-up. Because, yeah, you do have to create space you have to take space for yourself you have to say you know physically and emotionally and mentally and spiritually we need the spaces in which to heal like I for example my Sundays right now I'm determined not to go online on Sundays I that's my space for just meandering going for walks painting reading whatever I don't put I don't set any goals or attachments to my Sundays and that's taking space. That's saying, no, this space is valuable for just being present mm -hmm. in whatever and not getting distracted by the stuff on social media or reading the news or anything like that. It's just my space. Mm. I feel like we're individually all holding so much at the moment. Like if we do consider ourselves to be a space, you know, we're holding we're holding the last freaking four years. We're holding the last, this whole last year. We're holding, you know, all, we're holding all, everything that we look at and see and, and engage with. And, you know, and we're, we're not, we're not inclined so much because of, you know, our culture, we're not inclined to let go. We're not inclined right. to, to allow that. And I, and I feel like, we're on the, we're always on the verge, but I do feel like we're, like you were saying before, we're at this moment where, so we're at this moment of transformation. And if we are able to, uh, if we are able to let go, or if we are able to basically to create space to hold each other, then yeah. we can transform somehow instead of staying stuck. I, and whenever I think about holding space, I always think about, and I'd love to hear your thoughts about this, I'm always thinking about community somehow. Like mm -hmm. I do, I get the sense for the importance for us as individuals, but I'm always thinking about community. And oh, right now is a time when there's so much div divisiveness, there's so mm -hmm. much, and I there's some part of me that just wonders how, how what are your, your thoughts about how holding space can be a pivotal practice, experience, offering, for yeah. healing, for healing yeah. the world. Yeah. <clears throat> so community is very much a part. It's so deeply embedded in the work that I do. In fact, 
I just launched a brand new business this summer, um, a few months ago called the Center for Holding Space. Mm. And I quite intentionally launched it as a partnership. I have a business partner now because up till then I'd been doing my work mostly as a solo um, entrepreneur and Mm. putting out a lot of things. And I I was exhausting myself kind Mm -hmm. of burning, you know, and uh, doing so much. And and Krista, who's now become my business partner, before that was my assistant, and, and she evolved into my business manager. But now I said, no, let's be in partnership because mm. I want to be able to trust that you're holding the other half of this container. Like it's mm. a growing container. The work is growing. I need somebody who's an equal relationship holding this rather than me just you know, being the superhero trying to hold this together. So we very much in the process of developing this business we had to really work on, okay, so how's, what's our relationship going to be at the core of this? What do we put at the center of our relationship and, and our commitment to each other, our commitment to this work, our commitment to love as a practice, even. So we developed this whole um, conflict model. We call it our peace covenant. This is the way we're going to hold each other. We're going to anticipate that there's going to be conflict coming up because conflict is a reality of relationships and it's going to show up. So how are we going to walk through this together in a way that still holds our values at the center? So our development of our values and things. And we now we have a whole team of people that are our teaching team for our programs. And we're building the same model with them as like, how are we holding this collectively? Because I don't want this to be ego-driven work. Yes, mm-hmm. it's my name that's on the book, but this is not ego. It, it cannot work if it's, if it's ego-driven. It has to be held collectively. And so we do one of the practices that's really embedded into my work and I'm training in is a practice called the Circle Way. Yeah, the I circle want to hear more is, about that. Yeah. Yeah. So this is something I've been training in for quite a few years now. My teachers uh, are Christina Baldwin and Anne Linnea. They have a book actually called The Circle Way. And if you go on circleway.net, there's a whole network of people that have built around, grown around this work. Anne and Christina are kind of in the elder years of retiring from this work and it's being held by other people. And this work is really core to my work because it teaches us how to be in relationship and using the circle as the primary way to hold it. And in their practice, we're taught, like the concept is there's a leader in every chair. So everybody who commits to sitting down in the circle is bringing their own self-leadership into the circle. You're taking responsibility for what you bring into the circle. You can be challenged by the group and you can also challenge the group. We're collectively responsible for what we put into the center of the circle. Mm. And we're committed to the well-being of this whole circle. And so you take responsibility. And so it's a it's a practice that allows you to be in relationship even when there's conflict and divisiveness gives you some guidance for how to be in that relationship and it's still a practice i think there's re- it's really important to say also that there can there's boundaries in that practice so when somebody in the circle is causing harm to the circle they're no longer living up to the commitment to that circle then there are ways to say you need to step out of this circle because right now and whatever goes is going on in your life right now you're causing harm it doesn't mean you can't come back to the circle but there's needs to be identified and named that harm is being caused and it's best for you not to be in the circle so it's not you know i i'm not i think we have to be careful around this language of unity we all want unity and stuff like that and i think that's a nice ideal (laughs) 
but unity can be a gaslighting term. It can cause mm -hmm. people to, you know, if I have to just be in unity, then I can't bring my, my pain to the circle mm -hmm. because my pain might cause somebody else pain. I can't talk about difficult things. I can't talk about the oppression I've faced, et cetera, because it might cause somebody pain or, or pain, et cetera. But we've really built in practices into A, the circle, and, and then B, to the holding space work of how to address difficult things but stay present in them and that's why our self-work is really really important if i could if i learn how to be present with my discomfort now i'm going to have enough skills that if you challenge me with something you point out a bias that i might be have have or some way that i'm being uh judgmental of people in the circle or hurting people i have the capacity to hear that now because i've done that hard work and it's going to cause me some pain, but I know how to get through it. And I've got the support of other people who are going to help me get through that and deepen my learning and my, and my understanding and hold myself accountable. Mm. I love that. I've somehow been very, uh, I would say in the last, well, maybe, maybe about five years, really drawn to community and, and drawn to uh, collaboration and working with other people. And mm -hmm. it's made me recognize how much our society values independence yeah. and how yeah. much our society values, you know, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and trying to do it all on your own. And so we're all kind of mm -hmm. afflicted with this, uh, this connection to our own worth being relative to our ability to do everything on our own. Mm -hmm. And it just... Yeah. <laughs> And it's because of that that we don't know how to hold space. It's yeah. exactly because of that cultural, you know, belief in <clears throat> I have to be independent, I have to be productive, I have to I define myself by my ability to, you know, get through things and you know power through, etc. But that's not you don't build community based on those kind of belief systems because if you're self sufficient and you're independent, you're not going to know how to need me. And it, for us to be in community, there has to be a mutual need going on. I have to be able to offer my need to you to help and you can support me in meeting it and vice versa in order to, for there to be a mutual trust that's built between us. Mm. Which is so key to social justice work. You know, if you're, if you're gonna work in the accessible, there's an accessible yoga space or, you know, about yeah. just accessibility to anything, any, any type to, to bring these practices in a way that everyone regardless of color creed religion body size um ability yeah. can can accept and 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 also with with you know the whole black lives matter and and, and even even the whole covid thing i think is I, I don't know if people are taking that lesson that but for the grace of whatever it is that you believe in go you that that we can get swept by this wave and i think it's really challenging that capitalist ideal that i'm individual i'm productive I don't need you. And if I need you, I'll pay for your services and then I'm going to get some simple, simple solutions. Mm. I, I love that you used Brene Brown in the book a little bit and that, that concept yeah. of not only firm boundaries, but also this vulnerability is so key to coming into community and to doing work that, that uh, creates a better space for everybody. Yeah, I think it's the only way to create a space that works for everybody, because if I don't bring my vulnerabilities, 
then I, like, if I can't acknowledge my vulnerabilities, then I can't acknowledge the collective vulnerabilities, then I'm going to marginalize the person that's the most vulnerable in the space. Mm -hmm. I'm going to marginalize the person with disabilities because they no longer have value because I've built my value system around, you know, being productive and being contributing to society. Well, now I'm totally marginalizing the person that that you know might be have a mental disability or uh, or physical disability doesn't allow them to contribute much to the group what's their value you know and mm. that's that's the way we marginalize people and then they don't have a space in the community but it has to start with me like i have to be able to witness myself as a vulnerable as a person with needs as a person with you know, I, I need to create gaps or allow gaps for other people to fill. And that's one of the reasons yeah. I just love being in a business partnership, because there are some things I, I'm just not good at. And Krista mm -hmm. fills the gaps and, and we do that for each other. And there's just, there's so much, there, there has to be that collective commitment to, yeah, we're going to show up real and, and we're going to allow each other to fill in those spaces. Mm, that's a similar kind of experience to what we have with this. You know, I think being able to be in that relationship or that partnership, one, it, it to me, it highlights the fact that we are always in relationship. You know, like yeah. if you're all doing your own little thing, like, you know, I've done my, I've definitely do my own little entrepreneur thing and just, you know, all, all on my own or whatever, trying to make things happen. But once you do have that, once you do recognize and acknowledge that, uh, that partnership, you start to see that, oh my gosh, I'm in relationship with everything. I just hadn't really yeah. thought so much about it. And it changes, it can change the way that you interact, you know, with the world yeah. in many ways. Yeah. And, you know, as you were saying, Maria, it can start to create spaces that are, it can start to transform all your spaces in many ways. Well, and this is why I think this is, like I said earlier, the pandemic is, is allowing some of these things to be revealed. Yeah. If you're refusing to wear a mask because it's uncomfortable for you or mm. whatever your personal reasons are, then you are ignoring the collective good. You're ignoring yeah. the fact that you could be contributing to somebody else getting sick. And mm. so you might not be vulnerable to COVID, but there's someone in your community that is. So if I'm not willing to make that commitment to the collective to do what I need to do in order to be serving the collective. I've, you know, I've been fed this self-centered a little too much. And so, yeah, we have to, that's, this is, and this is the interesting thing. I, I, I travel quite a lot. I've spent time, I've had the opportunity to spend time in a lot of different cultures. And I really pay attention to some cultures have much more of a collectivist frame. And then some of us are much more individualistic. And it tends to be the Western cultures where we're pretty individualistic. Mm -hmm. And then you go to some of the Eastern cultures and they have much more of a collectivist culture. And my best friend is from Saudi Arabia and she come, she says it's very much a collectivist culture and there's pros and cons of both cultures mm, like in a collective yeah. a collectivist culture you lose your sense of self and you're not allowed to have your own identity because you've mm. kind of been absorbed in the collective on the other hand in an individualist culture you lose your sense of the collective and you're mm. all, all about lonely. yourself and your own identity and mm -hmm. yeah you're, you're lonely and isolated so how do we learn from each other to balance this, that I still get to have an identity, but that identity is not going to wipe out your identity. I'm going to be committed to, to the collective as well as the individual. So much. The other thing that you made me think of with the opportunity of, the, of COVID is 
I've seen people COVID bypass, you know, they, they've, they're like, I'm going to do 50 million yoga workshops and I'm, and I'm, and what they've, what they haven't left is space. So there has been a lovely opportunity to work, for instance, get online and work with you or get online and work with people who you couldn't otherwise get to Canada yeah. or do whatever, but careful not to seek, 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 and like a squirrel store all these nuts because you got to eat the nuts and you got to process them and integrate them one nut at a time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm reading a, a Bell Hooks book right now, all about love. I, it's mm. a good book. I re- recommend it. And she talked about how she has a resistance to going to conferences um, where all these people are dropping their wisdom because it feels like she's overeating, you know, and I think, yeah, yeah. like mm-hmm. that's that's and, and especially at the beginning of COVID, it was kind of crazy Wasn't how many it? people were just frantic to create something of meaning and offer it and, oh, you know, I'm good. And it was yep. like, I wouldn't, I didn't want to open my inbox. Cause like, there's just another 20 yep. offerings and it mm-hmm. was far too much. And I, like, I posted something on social media. I was like, slow down people. Like, yeah. we don't know what this space is going to be. We don't know what a pandemic we've never been here before. Let's stop trying to create the map before we figured out what the landscape looks like, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's what I felt like there was this frantic, I've got to make meaning out of this. I've got to rush to create something that, that helps us frame this. Like, no, let's just be present in this. Let's slow down and have some conversations. Let's figure out what we're in the middle of first. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I wonder how doing this work and sharing this work and and being in spaces and being a space <laughs> how has it changed your relationship with yourself and with and with the world even yeah oh it's it, I, I can't write anything until i wrestle with it in myself first and so everything like changes me first it's mm. just the, and i'm sure for you as teachers too that's the yeah. way it is to do this work you first have to go deep into it yourself so that means you got to wrestle with all your demons you've got to come you know be confronted by all the ways that you've been like this is a a book you know it's work that's all about being in relationships Mm -hmm. and one of the interesting things that happened is that when my blog post went viral I it was like a mirror it was held up in front of my face okay so you're just, you're being called to teach the world how to hold space this is not happening in your own home so you've got to figure this out and so within four months of that post going viral my marriage ended because mm-hmm. it was not a space where I was hold he didn't know how to hold space for me I didn't know how to hold space for him really there was just that that just became crystal clear in that moment so I thought if I want to live in alignment with my work, I need to be in relationships in which I'm holding space. So I had a bit of a clearing of the decks, like which relationships are not based on these principles and how do I grow the ones that actually are? So it's, it was a rebuilding and some, some relationships changed. Some of them have become less important. So there's been a a bit of a mix. So, but those ones I've really sought out the really solid relationships where there is a mutual holding space. Like I talked about Krista, my business partner, and I have a Mm. couple of other really, really important relationships where it's a mutual commitment to learning how to do this well. And as a mother too, I have three daughters who are young adults. They still all are at home 
partly because of COVID. They're supposed to be spreading their wings, but uh, but uh, they're still home, and and we get along great. So it's been it's been mostly quite good. But it's it's changed the way I parent because I've had to really. I've sometimes said that parenting is like getting a PhD in holding a space because you have to evolve your understanding. At the beginning, you hold them like this, like very yeah. tight and close and you have to meet their needs. And then gradually you have to learn to release your grip on them so that they can live their own lives. And that's been a real learning practice and to be present in a different way for my daughters as they evolve into unique individuals living their own lives and having their own opinions and all those things. And um, so I, I, again, I had to be really intentional about being in alignment with, with the work I'm teaching in my own home and my kids, because they know that, you know, mom's the expert on this. They, they'll call me out on it. Absolutely. Like, mom, mom, you're not really holding space right now. So. I so appreciated your, when you talked in the book about your daughters and, and how exactly how they call you out, but also how difficult it is with our intimates to hold space yes. mm -hmm. and that sometimes it's really important to recognize that we need to seek someone who's more neutral whether that's a therapist yeah. or whether it's a friendship because we are so identified with the outcome and so terrified exactly. or so attached yeah. I, I really appreciate it I, I thought that was a vital thing to recognize is when you're not supposed to be the space holder mm. Yeah. And what I say in that, because this comes up all the time in, in this work is people say, well, why is it so hard to hold space for my spouse or for people I love the most? You know, shouldn't be mm. this be the practice grounds for this work? And I say, you know, the more intimate the relationship, the greater the risk to you. And so the risk means that their outcome of whatever they're going through is going to affect me, not just mm -hmm. them. So I can't do it from an arm's length because if they make a major decision that's gonna change my life, or that means I might lose them or something like that. If you're holding space for a spouse or, you know, or I, some of my clients might be holding space for children who are transitioning. And so mm -hmm. then they're wrestling with how do I let go of, the gender this the you know the birth gender and and allow this the, my child to live in something different it's going to have an impact on on me and so the closer you are and and acknowledging that risk and that's where you have to sometimes practice look i need to i need to i can be with you as much as i can and there's certain pieces of this you're going to have to find other support for mm. so in the book, I talk about one of my daughters supporting her and helping her find therapy because I wasn't the right person. I was too attached. I wanted her to, you know, I wanted things to turn out all right. And, and I was worried about her. And so I had, I, I ended up helping her find a therapist that would, and I'm so glad she did. She found a really, really great therapist. And you can say things to a therapist you can't say to your mom. And, Absolutely. <laughs> and, then, yeah, and sure. so that has to be me releasing her to, and trusting that that's the place of getting that kind of support. Mm. Mm. Man, so many aspects. Um, so, okay, so as we maybe start to wrap it up, we've got it, we've definitely taken a, a bit of your time and man, has it been amazing. Mm. The, the question that I, I have for you is, does this, does this work and your understanding about of what we need as human beings, of what we're capable as human beings, does it give you hope? Because mm. <clears throat> we're at a rough place right now. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I, I I tend to just focus. I try to. I don't always. I don't always get this right. But I 
uh, one of my teachers, Christina Baldwin, she talks about what's what's right in front of you, like what's within reach of you. So what, you know, what's one, or like within six feet of me, what can I impact? Well, I have hope for the circle that's within that reach of me. And so that's where I, I turn my lens and focus on, look, there's people that are coming to my book, they're coming to this work, and I see incredible things happening in their lives. I see them really waking up to this and, and living transformed lives. That gives me a great deal of hope. Does this mean that it's going to change the whole global picture and change the, you know, the amount of, of division and polarization there is in the world? I, I am not going to attach myself to that kind of hope because <laughs> I'm not sure I have that kind of hope, but I can focus on this, this circle of influence and this space that I, I that I have. And that's what, that's what gives me hope. Mm. I love that because it's so empowering and it's it so in, it's so in line with what you teach too. You know, I do feel like this, all of this holding space stuff, I do, I feel like it's so empowering. Mm -hmm. It really is powerful tools. Maria, have you got any, have you got any other No, I had the there? same. I think it is, yeah. it, it is essentially hopeful work. And I love the idea, especially for yoga teachers, because, and especially like a new yoga teacher who's out in the world thinking, you know, what am I doing? You might be influencing five or six people a week to yeah. be at home with themselves, to come into community, mm. to be in an authentic space. I just think that's so powerful. It's just not to be underestimated or looked past and it's within yeah. reach. Like you can do it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So. I, I mean, a really small example of that. Last week I did this book appearance for a, a it was called a book cafe. It was a library that invited me to speak to their people and and something went wrong in the setup of it where most of the people registered didn't get the link. So it was a very small group of people that showed up on Zoom and and I had to get up very early for it because it was in it was in Scotland and I was awake very early for this and you know, very few people. And there was part of me, you know, you get off a call like that. It's like, well, I didn't have a very big sphere of influence in that particular call. And yet I I have this you know belief that the right people are going to show up and who's ever in this space are the right people and mm -hmm. and so I trust that and and sure enough like it, on social media later that day one of the people that had been on that call she reaches out to me and a she wants to talk about translating the book into Norwegian and b she's got all these ideas and she's has an art gallery and we're, we start talking about having an art uh, exhibit on the theme of holding space I'm like huh. All I needed was that one person and she's energized by it. And who knows where that I might take it into Norway in this brand new way. So, yeah, I, I just trust that the right people show up in the room and that's all that I have um, influence over. And I, and I don't need to be changing the whole world. I think, I think it brings it back. I, I mean, your, your language and some of the quotes, I, I wanted to reel them all back to you, but I, I, I'd have to be fiffling through notes. But um, <laughs> I, I loved that what supports you, I think I've got that right, is, is mystery and community. Right. And to me, yeah. uh, mis mystery, there's a, a thing in um, yoga called Ishvara Pranidhana, which is just mm. basically surrender to that which is bigger than you, trust in the universe kind of thing. Mm. Yeah. And I love that there is that, whatever your mystery is, something bigger than you, but also then, then community, like who are you actually in communion with? And as that as being your support, something you cultivate, seek, develop, I just, I think um, it, it, it was a perfect way to en encompass what we need. 
to do this. Yeah, that's what I've defined as the outer layer of the bowl. Like the bowl Mm -hmm. rests in mystery and community. And, and it, 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 you know, it's a weak bowl unless it has that support system underneath it. Mm. Love that. Mm. I, so I really, I, those are just such powerful supports. They really (laughs) are. And they're supports that I feel like we all really need to cultivate at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Cultivate and lean into like, yeah. there, there has to be that trust that we lean into that. And the, the ironic thing is those were the last things to show up on the bowl. Like at first the bowl was a single layer and it has evolved. Thankfully it evolved in time to make it into the book <laughs> and, and mystery was the last thing that showed up. I'm like, well, wasn't that an arrogant thing to leave that out entirely? It's kind of yeah. revealing of, you know, you try to figure out these things on your own with your own headspace, And then you realize, Oh, wait a second. There's a whole piece I'm missing out and that's when I evolved it into the three layers because I really recognize that without that container then we can't be the container for anybody else well I recommend the book highly for anyone who's (laughs) listening it was a delight and I can't wait to go slowly through um and and play with each section and kind of integrate but yeah thank you and just i should mention just briefly since we're talking about playing with the ideas of two other tools that we just developed is we have a deck of cards the holding space card deck and people Uh that are listening won't be able to see the visual but i'm holding it up Mm. we just got this a couple of weeks ago and it's there's 52 cards one for every week of the year if you want and they uh they're all based on the themes from the book so Uh and, and then there's a little booklet that has quotes from the book so you can pick a card and and, and then we also have developed a journal uh, t- that you can, and it's got prompts for each of the, the chapters of the book. So all of that is available on our, our website, centerforholdingspace.com. Fantastic. We will, have, we will provide links to all of that. And I'm ordering them. I'm excited <laughs> yeah. about those. <laughs> I really am. And honestly, as I dive into the book, I'm really happy to have had this conversation as, you know, sort of a, a context or setting the scene for that. Because I have looked at, I have looked at the book, I've looked at the table of contents and I was, oh, this is so juicy. I can't wait to dive in. <laughs> so Heather, I, I want to, again, thank you for giving us some of your time. This has been a brilliant conversation, so enlightening. And I also want to just thank you for the work that you're doing in the world. I, oh, just knowing there's folks out there like you gives me hope. It really does. And so, yeah, I wanted you to know that we, uh, we, I just really appreciate what you're doing and who you are in the world. No, you can say we, you can say we. (laughs) And it was really my pleasure. This was, uh, I I find that my, my work, I get clarity each time I have a really good conversation. You know, that's why I love doing these kind of interviews because it's like a whole new idea. It's like, oh, wait a second. Then I go on this new train of thought because I just, articulated something in a fresh way so i i I deeply appreciate this opportunity no worries okay thank you so much heather it's been such a joy to meet you yeah Yeah. thanks thank you Uh all right good night so there you have it man was that something or what so much to think about so many questions and yet it's that little reminder that the answers are always there in us always there ready to be felt and embraced and expressed. And so a big thank you to Heather for taking time to share your wisdom and your lovely outlook with us. In many ways, I'm feeling like it's exactly what many of us need right now. I don't know about y'all, but it's been an interesting and somewhat challenging start to the year. 
And I'm not one to complain, mainly because I feel mostly I feel as though my life is this embarrassment of riches in so many ways. But there's a heaviness that I've been feeling a little bit. And I know that others have been feeling it too. Sometimes I think that maybe this idea of facing another year of COVID and and another and an uncertain future around where it's going to take us and where it's going to leave us is something that might be on our minds a little bit. I'm always aware that mental health is a vitally important concern for all of us. And it's something that I'm going to be talking about more. And in all honesty, I'm going to be paying attention to it more in my own life. I feel like our mental and emotional well-being, it's such a subtle and a fragile thing. And so please be sure to stay tuned into yourself and your experiences and how you're feeling. You know, I often suggest to folks that you take a moment when you get out of bed, before you get out of bed, just to remember who you are. I like asking questions, asking myself questions like, what are you passionate about? What are, what are the most important things in your life right now? And maybe how can you love yourself more today? However you answer questions like this, our hope is that they're just a step in the direction of living like you love yourself. And so we've got another juicy conversation coming soon. This one is with a woman who is a master meditator with a beautiful story. And and she's an incredibly fun and adventurous soul. And so definitely stay tuned for that one. And be sure to subscribe to find out when it drops. Oh, and if you haven't left us a review, we would so appreciate it if you could. And if you know somebody who might enjoy listening to what we're putting out, definitely share the love. Until next time, take care of yourselves. Namaste.